Welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume six, issue 277, Life is Strange. You can play along with volume six. The entire schedule up to and including issue 300 can be found on the website, but if you are looking to get a good start on these, the next five issues are going to cover Joust, Legacy of Cain, Soul Reaver, Until Dawn, Super Hexagon, and another super, Super Mario Kart. You can go over to canyonrinse.com for articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, Facebook page, and our YouTube channel. If you enjoy what we do, you can also give us a little bit of your support monetarily. We do have a Patreon, and if you would like to donate on that, you can donate a dollar a month or more if you'd like, uh, and that helps us to keep on doing what we do. We are also currently uh, attempting to reach a pretty lofty goal, but we are, uh, we're pretty proud of it. It's $3,000 per month. If we can hit that by mid-November, it's going to be a big day for everybody because we're going to start producing double the Cane and Rinse podcast. That's right. We will go from 50 to 100. So if you would like to listen to twice the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash and and make your contribution to get that going for us. So joining me, Leah Haydu, in issue 272 are Joshua Garrity. It's hella good to be here. <laughs> it is indeed. Tony Atkins. Hello. And uh, in a somewhat rare on-mic appearance, Jay Taylor. Hello. Uh, so today we are talking about Life is Strange, uh, an episodic game developed by Don't Nod Entertainment and published by Square Enix, which they do not let you forget that it is published by Square Enix. Uh, there are uh, directors of Raoul Barbet and Michel Koch, written by Christian Devine and Jean-Luc Cano, and composed by Jonathan Morali. Uh, as I said, it is an episodic game released over 2015. Uh, episode one was in January, and after that it was every two months. They had a pretty consistent release schedule so two in march three in may four in july and five in october uh it's a little difficult to track sales numbers for life is strange because first of all it's an episodic game so it's kind of a question of where do you start and where do you stop if it doesn't count if somebody downloads the first episode does it not count uh however it uh has also been featured as a free game on both playstation plus and games with gold and you can usually get the first episode for free no matter where you are playing uh it's pretty much everywhere we do know, however, that it was ranked fifth among the best-selling PS3 slash PS4 games of 2015, and as of May 2017, more than 3 million units have been sold across platforms. Uh, get some pretty decent uh, ratings across uh, different rating sites. Metacritic gave it an 85 of 23 reviews and an 8.6 from 842 user ratings. There are some episodes that are a little bit higher than others, but uh, that's, that's kind of the generalization there. An 86 from Game Rankings, a 95 from EGM, and a 34 out of 40 from Famitsu. So pretty good overall. Uh, so Life is Strange takes place in the town of Arcadia Bay, Washington, during the week of October 7th, 2013. Uh, in its simplest terms, it's the story of two friends reuniting and dealing with the changes that have come between them in your years apart. Also, there's time travel. So maybe it's not quite that simple. So before we get to uh, a little discussion of the episodes themselves and what they hold, let's talk about our histories a little. Uh, Tony, did you play this at launch uh, or did you wait until all the episodes were out? Something in between? 
I feel like I do this for every single uh, episodic content now. I just wait until like a box set, it's out for me to enjoy <laughs> as one great big piece. Um, that's not to say I didn't actually play it in a bit of a, a broken up fashion. Um, I I jumped into episode one, even though I own the, the season pass at this point, and um, played it actually with Carl Moon of this very uh, establishment and my wife. And we sat on the, the sofa and he was down for the weekend. We went through the first episode and that was enough for me to put the game down. Um, and come back to it about six months later <laughs> because that first episode's a little spotty in places it's a little rough um mm. i'm sure we'll get into some of the reasons why that is but yeah that's it didn't capture me like um a lot of the internet had the uh, you know I'd, I'd seen from the internet kind of positive buzz around it um for many reasons that i'm sure we'll talk about but it's yeah so uh, I had a, a gap in between, but then jumped back in and, and played the whole thing uh, for this very show about ooh, probably two months ago now. Um, so recently, but yeah, not not on day of release or anything like that. Jay, how about you? Did you uh, follow along with sort of what Tony did here, or closer to release? <laughs> uh, no, not really. Um, in all honesty, I had very little interest in the game. Um, a friend last year bought us a copy of this game. Uh, he gave us the special edition and he loved it. He was always raving about it. But for whatever reason, um, it has literally sat on the shelf and I've never touched it. A lot of the stuff I was reading seemed to be a game that had a time travel mechanic, but it was about angsty teenagers. And for whatever reason, it just did not engage me. I, cu- I just couldn't be bothered with it. Then it came out on PS Plus then we had the podcast. So I literally <laughs> I literally played this yesterday and finished it this morning. <laughs> um, and I don't know, like, I, I put my name down for the podcast because I had this disc and I thought, you know what, I need an excuse to play this. Otherwise, I'm just never, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So I've, yeah, just this morning, I finished it for the first time. Very fresh then. Cool. Oh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, Josh, you're probably the uh, the closest of us to the angsty teens that are yeah. here, obviously, because <laughs> the first thing I think of when when I think of Josh is angsty teens. So, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. so, so how did you how did you come across this? <laughs> um, um, I, I was actually really excited for this game before it came out um, because on, on paper, Life is Strange actually is really appealing to me. Um, like a high school drama kind of focusing on life and love and all of that stuff and I'm I'm really in favor of games kind of exploring outside the usual kind of inspiration pools of aliens uh, Lord of the Rings aliens again um and uh, and kind of branching out and doing different things so on on paper I was really excited for Life is Strange then some of the kind of word of mouth about the first episode came out I, I remember listening to Midnight Resistance and it's it's interesting how their opinions kind of changed on it because at first episode 1 almost everyone universally didn't like episode one um just criticisms about the dialogue criticisms about the characters all of that stuff i i can't think of anyone um in our kind of you know podcast circle or beyond that with you know the general audience for podcasts that like episode one i've i've yet to encounter anyone who has positive things to say about that episode then so i basically wrote it off i was like oh okay never mind uh you know remove that put a line through it i'm not gonna bother with that game 
Um, and then the impressions for episode two started coming out, and I was like, oh, wait, this is much more positive. People who didn't like episode one are now saying they've been converted by episode two. And that line of conversation continued into the subsequent episodes. I was like, okay, so it starts off rocky, and then it gets better as it goes along. Okay, I should check this out then. And I picked it up in a Steam sale, like, I don't know, um... Episode four had come out by then, but not the final episode. So I picked it up and I was like, right, it's time to catch up before the the final episode um, comes out. I forced myself through three episodes before having to put it down out of disgust. Um, then managed to get almost to the end of episode four before again putting it down because some line of dialogue pissed me off so much. <laughs> and um, uh, and then I, I, I uh, played um, episode, uh, finished episode four and then played episode five uh, this past week for the podcast. Um, yeah, so that's my history of the game. <laughs> right. I, I was somewhere, uh, I think, in between uh, Tony and Josh. I uh, I did not quite wait until all of the episodes had come out, but I did hear the kind of negative feedback from the first episode, which I, I, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but that's really a bad demo for the game. I, I And I, I end up uh, having an overall positive opinion of the game, but that first episode is, is not the best introduction. Um, however, once I started hearing more positive things about the episodes after that, I uh, picked it up. I did play it in 2015. In fact, I think it was the last game that I finished in 2015. I, I believe I finished it either on New Year's Eve or possibly the day before, um, but played through in the space of, I'd say, about a week um, or maybe slightly more, just uh, going through one episode at a time uh, and giving it a little bit of time to sink in and then coming back for the next. Uh, but I, uh, I didn't it was close to release, but not uh, not following along. Uh, so I didn't really have the the wait in between episodes that uh, that some people did. Um, so I guess this is as good a time as any to issue a spoiler warning because this is a very plot heavy game. Uh, so we're going to be going pretty in depth about what uh, what the characters do, what they say, and what the outcomes are. Uh, but before we get into most of that, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about how the game looks. Uh, it's a very almost impressionistic game. Uh, it's not very sharp. It's not very uh, defined. And the characters aren't particularly realistic. They're not, uh, they're not completely unrealistic. They, they lean in the realist direction, but uh, they're not photorealistic by any means. Uh, and there's kind of a, uh, an interesting visual choice made because the game does play a little bit like a, well, uh, very much like a point-and-click adventure game. And most of the things that you can interact with, you will be able to tell because there's a cartoonish bubble almost uh, rising off of them to say what it is and then once you get a little bit closer it'll be outlined so that you can see what the actions are that you can take with this particular object it makes it easy to uh, in contrast for some earlier um, point and click adventure games to kind of tell what you need to be doing in order to advance and it's not it's not always all right in front of you because you do have 3D environments to wander around and sometimes things are hidden but uh, it's it's less frustrating than I think that it could have been. Um, was there anything striking about the visual style uh, that you guys found to uh, to really be a hit or a miss, either one? Um, 
Josh? I, I kind of, I did like that for kind of newspapers and stuff like that, that they, they almost didn't bother to um, write out all the articles and stuff and, and had that kind of blurry. That was actually a clever choice because it's an acknowledgement that, look, guys, we've got a limited budget here. We can't like spend hours and hours writing out all these articles on all these newspapers and letters and, and, and what have you. And just having that stylized choice of, look, here's a squiggle. It's, it's art. It's fine. That was clever. Um, and I think, like generally, the the character designs are actually really good. Um, like Chloe, Chloe's kind of default design is a really appealing character design, um, and and I love I love all of that stuff, the art direction stuff. What I and I, I I hope I'm not jumping the gun a little bit, but what I don't like is the um, the animation, um, specifically the the facial animations. Um, mm. They're a little flat, like. I can't really tell the difference between Max angry and Max sad and Max happy other than like a slight tilt of her, the, you know, the edge of her mouth and the, you know, slight movement of her eyes. It's real, like, it's really basic I, stuff. I do think that's something they get better as the episodes go on. I think like the voice acting and, and the original episodes, like the limp sync can be a bit off as well. Yeah. Um, but I think as, as the further you get through the series, they obviously, their tech gets a little better. And I think, you know, they, they get a grasp of that stuff. But I do agree with you on the earlier stuff. Um, for me as well, I, I mean, I, I really like the colour palette. I think it's got this um, kind of almost like a watercolour-esque kind of washed out kind of soft neutral tones um which works really well and i i think the the art design and the characters are, are really good you know i i'd like um the way that you know chloe looks and max looks and i think it has a a style i think you know if i if i take a shot from life is strange and pass it through a group of people that you know are, you know, are gamers i think I'll, you wouldn't have to necessarily show them max and they'll go oh, no, yeah that's from life is strange so I, do, I do think it has a personality and a style and a choice a style choice to itself i quite liked it he reminded me a, a little of dishonored in the way that they shade the characters in terms of it Not almost feels like... Not as far, is it? Yeah, but yeah. Well, it, without all the stylization that Dishonored's got, but it's got the same kind of like brushstroke-esque sort of aspect to it where you can sort of... Everything's... It feels like they used a really thick brush to shade everything in. You know, it's just like it's you can see things. And I actually liked what, like what Josh was mentioning about newspapers. That and the photographs, they weren't... There was no detail on a lot of the photographs. They were almost just like blobs of color uh forming shapes but you recognize the shapes you could see that there were people you even because of the way that their hair was in the in the picture that you could recognize who they were supposed to be as well which i quite like that very simplified uh visual aspect to it i experienced um some pretty strange visual glitches and i'm wondering if anybody else got any of these as well now this did not happen the first time that i played the game i everything kind of went through okay uh i do agree pretty heavily on the uh the animations uh the the other thing that comes to mind other than the facial animations is um just kind of the max walking around animations she walks pretty much the same way pretty straight no matter where you are or what are you doing yes you can walk Arms into to a your wall side. you can yep. be yeah uh-huh <laughs> Yeah, even when you start to run in air quotes, it, it's it's barely a shuffle faster than than what you're already doing for the most part. But um, uh, other than no, these were these were honest glitches uh, that were very odd um, that I saw in the first episode when I went to replay the game, and um, it seemed to be 
for the most part, things that were either missing or um, had had shown up in different places. What I'm thinking of is in the first episode, uh, when you're outside the dorm with the uh, the paint can where you have to figure out how to get back into the dorm, uh, I had two things happen out there. There was one where Samuel is up on the ladder and he has the paint can where his arm was missing, but the paintbrush was still there. So it was just a paintbrush floating in a paint can. And that was pretty odd. And then the, uh, the other one was um, Alyssa, who uh, you, you can save from being hit in the head several times, um, is sitting on a bench reading. And uh, you come back to her later and she's doing something slightly different. Well, she had moved when I came back to her, but the book hadn't. So she was sitting on one side of the bench and the book was floating on the other side of the bench where she should have been holding it. It was it was kind of unsettling. Yeah, I, I but had one um, with Mr. Jefferson who was writing on the piece of paper but wasn't actually mm-hmm. writing on the piece of paper. He was talking to the class and his hand was on on the scene writing in the book. <laughs> it was Ooh, it's weird. a good you know, it's fun. But I you know, I I don't know. I I don't always mind games having small issues like that. Unless it's game breaking. Were these issues like when you first played them or were they recent? Nothing stood out to me at all when I played it yesterday. And I just wondered if it was a case of like, you know, when you're on a bi-monthly release schedule that you just, you're under so much pressure that certain visual glitches just going to get patched later. If you're going to compare it against its its other rivals, you know, Telltale are are legendary for some of the the problems they have with that engine and their series of giving stuff out. So I think it comes a little bit with the territory, although that's not really a a pass or an excuse. So the gameplay is uh, we've, already referenced Telltale a few times, uh, and rightly so, I think, because this uh, this is that type of, of game. It is uh, sort of point and click with uh, many puzzles, none of which are particularly difficult, uh, and most of which center around locating objects in the environment that will allow you to complete whatever it is you have been tasked to complete. Um, so... You also do have uh, the dialogue options uh, that Telltale in particular is uh, pretty notorious for including in their games. You can go down different branching paths and have any number of different reactions or uh, consequences that come in during the, uh, the later events of the game. And to me, it seemed like they did a pretty decent job with making your choices matter. And there are a couple of things that I'll uh, I'll be able to reference, and, and I imagine you guys will as well, uh, when we start talking about the specific episodes. But uh, what did you think of the dialogue options? And in particular, what effects you can get out of it by rewinding the conversations that you have and kind of interjecting additional information? So I have... Uh, a conflicted relationship with the rewinding time mechanic in that Mm. there are scenarios where I think it's really, really interesting. And at first, like when I was starting Life is Strange, I thought it was a great kind of gimmick because um, without this, this is pretty much, you know, the standard telltale formula. But with it, Life is Strange uh, establishes kind of a unique identity. Um, But in the cases where there were puzzles or there was a kind of conversation puzzle, as it were, I thought the time travel stuff was really interesting, like navigating the environment and um, navigating a social situation by abusing this ability to kind of reverse mistakes. The times where um, 
I wasn't fond of it, and I'm sure we'll get onto this as we talk about the the writing and the storytelling, was when you had to make a choice that actually had a, a massive impact. Um, so I'm thinking kind of, you know, the, the fate of Kate, for example, um, actually, that's a bad example because that's the one time. <laughs> time. No, but um, <laughs> um, but later on, there are there are interactions with um, characters like the drug dealer that's living in the camper van. You kind of decide whether he dies, gets uh, gets injured, or you know walks away um, without a scratch. And for me, like the 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 the, the tension of making a choice that is irreversible um, is kind of key to my kind of, not enjoyment, but engagement with stuff like uh, The Walking Dead and The Witcher 3. The feeling that like a decision I've made now could ripple out and have impact later down the line. And having this kind of choice to go... And, and, and Max even says, oh, are you sure about that choice? Possibly such and such will happen. We're, yeah, Max, basically you're telling me that will happen. So thanks for that. Um, and you can reverse it. And 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 I feel like some of the um, the impact and gravity of those choices is diminished when you can back out of those choices. Um, so yeah, I, I feel mixed. I, I think it's great for great for certain scenarios, but for some scenarios, I think it kind of sabotages the drama. The social situations where you've got multiple people to talk to. Um, there's one particular scene. You've got to go to the Two Whales Diner to to get the keys from Frank, but there's like four people in there that you can have a conversation with. I thought it was really interesting because you could go back and forth and glean a little extra information of somebody, then go back to another person and use that extra little bit to get more from them and, and change the, the way the, the conversation flows. I thought that stuff was really interesting. I find it slightly weird. I, I feel like it's a, a direct shot at um, obviously Telltale's output over the last few years. I, I, I think like there's been this conversation that's happened is, you know, when you play Telltale games, do you, you know, pick a route, don't like it, then just save scum it and go back and, you know, start again. And I and I've never played Telltale games like that. I've I've always liked the pressure of, you know, sometimes as as much you know, as little as, you know, four or five seconds where you need to make a choice. And you live with that consequence. Now, you might not say, well, that maybe in real life you'll have a bit more time. But, you know, the way the, those games set up, I like the fact that, you know, I'm being pushed, pressured into situations. and I'm using my snap judgment. And if it pans out, then great. If it if it doesn't, then, you know, so be that was my choice. Um, this seems like a direct attack at that as to say, well, <laughs> do we really need to do that? And I think that's definitely open to interpretation for anybody that plays this. For me, I actually found myself at times not even bothering to rewind. I just found like, okay, well, that's the choice I'm going to stick with. I don't necessarily need to see how this is going to pan out two ways. In fact, it's going to kind of break the story a little bit for me. Um, But at the very start, it seems such a petty thing as well. It's, you know, do you know my name? Well, let me just guess one of five answers. Okay, I got that wrong. Now you're going to tell me, let me just rewind. And it almost seems at times like you're kind of invading their privacy a little bit, like invading their mind just a bit too far, just to kind of get your own way. And it seems like a complete misuse of this amazing power that you've been given. And I think that's some of the problems of the early episodes. As as the series goes on, I think it's interesting how the time, you know... <laughs> 
power has this effect of breaking pretty much everything around Max's life. Um, and that's when, you know, that stuff becomes, you know, more interesting. But I, I have to agree with Josh. I, I think overall, I didn't like its implementation. And I think it kind of caused more problems than solved. And I don't necessarily know it's a problem that needed to be solved in the first place. Yeah, it's the thing that I think bothered me the most was probably that don't have a time limit on any of these. I think I would have liked to see that. And that sounds kind of odd because I guess you wouldn't really have a time limit because you can always go back in time. But that's something that I, I kind of like about the Telltale games is that you have to make a decision. There is that pressure on you. There were one or two choices in this game where I literally put down the controller and sat and stared at the screen for a few minutes because I knew that you could rewind and you could do you know what you needed to do. But I, I tried to not do that. I tried to make my choices and make those my choices and not rewind as much as I had to. Uh, and that didn't always work, of course. Sometimes there were, I, I wanted to see both things or I, I knew that uh, what I had just chosen was not going to be it. But I think that the worst part of that for me was sometimes you don't have the right decision the first time through. You have to rewind because something that somebody says will open up that dialogue option and you can then select it if you rewind. So if you if it was a simple matter of, well, you'll get this or you won't and you can rewind if you want to, then that makes sense to me because, you know, she's she's a teenager. Teenagers are going to abuse that kind of thing at first if they have it. And only when she starts to see, when Max and Chloe both start to see what the real impact of this is, then it starts to get more serious, and then it starts to be kind of a, a more impactful thing to them. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be from the beginning, but, you know, they, they are kids, and that's... Oh, for sure. But I, I think, that unfortunately, the game starts to make up some of its own rules at times. It's It's... You know, it's okay with abusing this power at the very start, but as things get a little bit more serious, I'm thinking like someone like Kate Marsh's, you know, suicide attempt. Yeah. You know, it takes that choice away from you. Um, you know, she's either going to jump or she's not, and that's down to the information you've gleamed, I suppose, by using that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, well, actually, I, I would imagine you'd have to use the rewind feature on a lot of that stuff to kind of glean that extra, extra things about her family and of where her dad is and your know, sisters, etc., to use her to stop from jumping the building. But if you don't get that information, you know, there's not that, oh, she jumped, let me just rewind, let me work through that. It's like, well, this is a binary choice. And it's it's weird at, at times. It's like, well, you can have it here, but you can't have it here. And it's, mm. I kind of like the idea that she, Max ends up with nosebleeds and that she's been using, you know, she uses the, the power too much then it has a, a detrimental mm. effect on her and she becomes weak. But that, that feels like that's a, a mechanic that could have been really like glorified. I understand why it's not. Um, but if, you know, if you are a player that just misused it so much in the first half of the game, then time the back end of the game comes, you haven't got anything left. That would have been a nice, interesting idea. But, you know, the reality of trying to make a game like this is hard enough without yeah. adding more complex stuff. Yeah, I mean, I would agree that uh, the rule set regarding the power changes several times. Um, like you said, when your first time is with Kate, when she you see her on the roof it's almost like she pauses time and moves through it, which you never do at any other point in the game. And then later in the game where you can suddenly use photographs to time warp and stuff like that. It was like there was nothing to sort of foreshadow these abilities. They just came up when they were convenient to do so. 
and that sort of stuff feels it well it felt cheap it just felt like we need we need to do something here we need to go back further so we'll use photographs to do so but there's no the suspension of disbelief element was like seriously strained at these points i think I agree with the photograph thing that that I had some issues with, but I I liked what they did with Kate's suicide attempt because uh, to me the way that I read that was you as Max are trying to use the power that you have just as you've been using it before because she tries you try a couple of yeah. times and you can't get it back far enough you can't get it back far enough and she keeps pushing and keeps pushing and then something snaps and whenever it snaps she didn't choose. To have everything paused and and completely you know stopped around her, it's just something that happened. And similar to her powers coming upon her in the first place, it's kind of this moment of great emotional stress. And this has happened. She doesn't know how. The fact that you can't use it again after that, e- even choosing to to eat the cost of being pretty messed up afterwards, that maybe is not the best. But I I like how that happened the first time. It that that didn't feel bad to me, and and I. That's one of the more powerful moments, I think, uh, that that whole sequence. But uh, but yeah, the, the, the photographs thing, that to me does kind of feel like, and, and again, it does kind of come at a moment of, well, it definitely comes at a moment of great emotional stress, yeah. but it didn't feel as in place, I don't think. I mean, who's who's staring into a photograph going, well, I can probably travel back from this. That 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 didn't seem quite right. From the outset, the, the first time you rewind the power, I'm like, yeah, well, that's not going to have a like a long lasting effect by the end of this game, right? So... I'm I'm willing to to get to the, the end of the game where you know her powers have become strong enough that she can suddenly warp into photos and knowing that if she's going to start doing that then really you are in a, a point of no return like that you can't fundamentally change everything about somebody's life and think it's not going to have some sort of cause and effect yeah. so with something like that, you kind of you want a bit of foreshadowing within the story, some kind of something that, like you know, perhaps earlier in the game, she's looking at a photograph and there's some kind of effect from it or something to sort of like show that there's something coming with that. But it's just the suddenness of having the ability to do it, you know. And it was just like what? Well, I think that's where the episodic nature comes in as well. They seem to to have a new rule set every episode that comes along. They either get deeper into their story, like, okay, well, in episode four, we'll introduce this, and then episode five, we'll introduce this, rather than having an organic nature. I don't think it's particularly well told, mm-hmm. and I think you know we're pretty much all going to agree with that, that there's there's some issues with the, the way they, they lay out a plot. Um, but, you know, I don't... I didn't... I <sighs> Let me put it this way. The, in episode five, mm-hmm. I don't like the way that the whole... A whole scene plays out with Mr. Jefferson, but I do like the fact that she has to warp into photos so many times that even I, as a player, was completely lost and confounded um, where we were actually in the storyline yeah. now. Yeah, let me just clarify something. Whether as everybody seems to have a problem with episode one, I'm like the reverse of that. I had less of a problem with episode one, more of a problem with episode five. Um, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Jay, but except that point because conceptually i find the idea of what episode five is doing the most interesting part of this whole uh this whole experience i love the idea of going back in time so much that it's actually kind of you know driving the audience and and maybe even the protagonist a little bit crazy just trying to keep up with all these details that are changing and all of that stuff my problem 
I still don't end up liking it because of execution. And I re- and I really, really do agree with your point on the kind of foreshadowing and setup. Like there are just simple little tricks that could you could have you could have justified that kind of narrative mechanic by hinting at it, at, you know, as early as episode one. But they don't. They just introduce it as this completely new thing, and we just have to accept that it's part of this world. And Max would think to do this at all, despite little evidence that it would have uh-huh. have an impact uh-huh. before then. Like conceptually, yes, that's a great idea because you know f- photographs are this fragile thing, and I love the idea. You know, oh, he's burnt all the photographs. Now I can't go back in time. Oh no, I'm trapped here. That's that's brilliant. That's a great narrative device. But they waste it with poor. you know setup and poor execution so we've touched on this and i just want to go ahead and and dive right in because there's a lot to say um let's talk about the writing uh and before we start talking about that specifically i'd like to read uh one of our correspondents had a few things to say about the writing this is a post from the forum which you can also post on there is always a thread at canemrince.com uh, forum and uh there will always be a thread there for our next but one uh podcast that is coming up and this is what a third drawing had to say from the forum. He says, I picked up Life is Strange based on word of mouth. Initially, I liked the premise, but I really feel like the game didn't do enough with the time mechanics. By that, I mean they didn't feel like they really made substantial changes most of the time. The dialogue was really incredibly bad on the level of a 90210 or Dawson's Creek, and I mostly cringed my way through the game. I didn't like the reveal of the villain. I felt their motivation made no sense in context with the rest of the story. I don't buy games based on word of mouth very often, and games like this are the reason why. It has a cool premise but the meat of the game just isn't that interesting and the ham-fisted writing did it no favors not one i would recommend so really incredibly bad right do we agree well before i know before, josh, has- josh before you come into this I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm amazed by um the word of mouth of this game and, and it's been all over the place right so even when the game was released you know there was people that really liked it people that loved it and then people that really loathed it the reviews of in high 80s the user feedback and around those sites on, are on the high 80s as well yet everybody that i've spoken to just within my own little friends user base is a lot more down on the game so it's interesting to hear you know how the critics and and the i guess the people on those sites are very positive and you know i'll lead josh into this now to hear his points but you know i think i'm going to parallel a lot of what josh will say and i'm sure there'll be other members of the team will do so so it's that's not to say that you know we haven't gone into this with an open mind before i launch into my tirade i feel like it's important to to say like I'm aware that I'm in the minority opinion with this. Like, there are a lot of people I like and respect that really love the this the series, um, and um, I mean no dis- disrespect to any of those people uh, when I say the things <laughs> I'm about to say um, about Life is Strange. Um, I, I've I've and I, I just I I only say this to kind of um, kind of create you know context for what I'm saying. Um, I've never been more baffled by the reaction to a game that I've covered on Kane and Rents. Um, I, 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 there have been plenty of games where I've, you know, like I'm not a huge Grand Theft Auto fan, but I, I totally understand why people love that series. Like, it's just not kind of, 
you know pulling the triggers in my mind that um that are particularly you know it's not it's not appealing directly to my interests but it, i can see how it's interesting uh, to other people whereas life is strange on paper is is really kind of it is keying into stuff that i'm really fascinated by and and and, and i love like I, I love that it's kind of exploring kind of sexual awakening. I love that it's exploring kind of uh, coming of age and realizing your place in the world and, and all of that stuff. But the dialogue is so bad. It is so unbelievably awful throughout the entire thing. And a lot of people, you know, point to Hella in the first, the overuse of the word Hella in the first episode. And look, it goes away as the series goes along. So the dialogue gets better. As far as I'm concerned, right, Hella is the first <laughs> puff of poison that kills the canary that warns us, warns us of the bad dialogue death cloud that's heading towards us. It is like... Uh, let me give you some choice quotes from the game's dialogue. Right, so it ranges from stuff like, uh, that's just really corny and awful, like, the only place I can be myselfy is in the dark room, and sorry about that, Max, but considering you're about to die, a nosebleed is a first world problem. So we've got, like, golden lines like that. And then we just have some, like, bad writing 101. So uh, there's one point where Max says, my work here... Here is done here, Frank. My work here is done here, Frank. Why don't you just say my work here is done, Frank? Like that's any writer worth their salt would see that second, like second here, and have a nosebleed. It would disturb them so much. It's just, oh, it's so frustrating that these kind of like GCSE level drama. And I, I, I'm allowed to say that because I was a GCSE <laughs> drama student. But like this kind of. Level Level of right, and I cannot tell you how much it makes me want to throw up that this storm that's like the centerpiece of the the whole thing that's going to come through the town all started because of a photograph of a butterfly. <laughs> how on the nose can you be? How disgustingly on the nose can you be? And I just I hate everything about the way this game is written and i and i and i should say I, i'm terrified that my negative reaction um uh, of this game is going to get me a pat on the back from the wrong crowd because like this game is um is branch like it has female protagonists it's female focus it covers homosexuality and all of those things are positive and if i if somebody from that alt right crowd goes well done for bashing on life is strange i'm going to give them the reaction that they deserve but like i just cannot look you're ready for the mosh pit yeah, shaka I mean, <laughs> but i <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah but i cannot i cannot look past the just terrible execution of the way and sorry uh, I will let other people talk in a minute, but I've, I've thought about this game for ages. Um, one of the other counters to this, that my argument, is that, well, they're teenagers, so of course they would talk awkwardly. My response to that is... What is the adult's excuse then? What about all the adult characters? Like, um, 
David, for example, who's an ex-army man who has to insert some kind of army lingo into everything he says. He's not a layered character. He's a caricature that has to make army references in everything he says. The same with Mr. Jefferson. Every other sentence is a reference to photography because apparently he's defined by his occupation and nothing else. He's not a three-dimensional human being. He's a job on legs it's it's really oh it's really frustrating part of my my rage comes from the fact that there is a version of this game that would appeal to me because the 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 concept is fascinating that like the relationship between chloe and max is fascinating and i think chloe is the closest this game comes to a three-dimensional character but it it chokes itself to death every time a character makes some awkward reference to uh, Twin Peaks or make some weird combo word with selfie and something else. It's just, it's sabotaging itself. Um, and and it's, it is not just episode one. For me, it's every single episode. Now I'm going to let someone else talk. Sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with Josh. I'm not going to rant quite as much, but because I think Josh has said it to me. I, I, I think the problem with this dialogue, and, and I had to take a long, hard look at this game, I said, well, well, you know, is this, is this me? <laughs> is this just me? But actually, I'm thinking, well, okay, was this game made for, you know, a different audience other than me? You know, and I've, I've played for all the Telltale games, and I just, I look at this one and I go, okay, if it was aimed at a teenage audience, you know, I have lots of nieces and nephews that are teenagers. And... If I came up to them and said any of this dialogue, now it may be different in America, but in the UK, if I said this to this, I'd probably end up with a slap around the back of the head and look of what are you talking about, you old man? And I think that's what it comes across. When I'm listening to this dialogue, it just feels like there was, I don't know, I'd pick a, a 45, 50-year-old man going, well, the youth speak like this, don't they? Yeah, not only that, the writing team is almost exclusively French, and I'm not saying that that should impact their writing ability at all, but I am saying that if they were told this needs to sound like American teenagers and they don't have that reference point or only have that reference point from other popular culture, then that to me explains a little bit. It doesn't excuse it, but it explains it a bit. I think the thing that Life is Strange nails is like the the concept is solid and I feel like the, the some of the theming does work. Life is Strange does have something to say. Like I I do think it's more than just its inspirations. I just think it's a, a failure of kind of um the 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 smaller, like the the broader stuff, is fine. I think it's the 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 nuance of the way people talk and the way people are characterised that kind of drag yeah. it down. Yeah, I mean it, the cartoonishness of the villains and like the people you're meant to think are the villains right from the outset. So, sort of uh, Nathan and David, that level of cartoonishness about it. I mean, there were more than there were several occasions in this game where I was thinking this reminds me of Scooby Doo. I don't know why, but it's just <laughs> this kind of you know I'm expecting somebody at the end to come out, you darn kids or whatever you know, and it was just it was that level of that sort kind of, of does happen, yeah, it does, this, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, but like, then. Like halfway through the game, there's like voluntary euthanasia. Um, it's, just, it's it's like, well, 
that's an odd choice, isn't it? And the problem with that as well is that at what point does it earn it? That that's the. I I do agree with what you're saying there, Tony. There is a tone problem with Life is Strange. Um, in that one second it wants to be this like light kind of teen comedy drama, and then a, a second later it's like Hannibal but, or something yeah, like well, that. Well, the thing is, the, the character I had the biggest problem with weren't like because the villains are quite bad. You know, they're two dimensional, so they are what they are. Uh, I think with David in particular, you're you you pretty much from the outset you get the impression that you're being played that he's you're meant to think of him as a villain, but you 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 know I I didn't buy it for yeah you just think yeah that he's the red herring in this story, but the um the character that annoyed me the most was Chloe, like I couldn't bear her character through the whole damn game, like she is. Like she's supposed to be, uh, you know, devastated or, or, or fixated on finding Rachel, but on several occasions she seemed more interested in going off and doing something really stupid. See, it's weird to be in a, in a position to defend um, Life is Strange, <laughs> given my feelings on the game. Um, but like, I I actually think Chloe is is the only character that I think comes close to being three-dimensional in the game. Before, and let me just clarify this. The punk Chloe is the one that annoys me. The uh, paraplegic Mm. Chloe was the only point in the game where I I really enjoyed how that played out. Like when you go back and realise that by saving the father that she ends up in a car crash and ends up in a wheelchair, like paralysed from the neck down. That That's where I got the most interested in this game. And the, the conversations between them in those points were the bits that I, I quite enjoyed. And I thought Ashley Birch's performance as Chloe in that sequence was really good. Mm. Like it was a bit more nuanced than what she'd been sort of playing up before. And... That at that point, that was the point in the game where I was kind of hooked in quite seriously. I thought, you know what, this is interesting because this is unlike anything else I've seen. Similar to what you said at the beginning, where it's no, no zombies, no aliens, no, you know, sure, you got time travel, but and it was this sequence in the game that I thought, I, you know, I like what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. But see, that's odd for me because by the end of that episode, is, is something that really bothered me with the way that they, they told the story. You know, they make it very clear that Chloe's not seen Max in, what, five, six years. Um, and yes, they were best friends, however you know, however close they were, but they've not spent seeing each other for a very long time. And through one evening's chat, she gets to the point where she's okay with asking that person to terminate her life because, you know, my mum and dad aren't going to do it. And it just, it seemed like it never got anywhere close to earning that line of dialogue. You know, that that amount of responsibility on the player. And, you know, the natural, for me, I mean, the natural way was to say, you know, to, to revoke, I guess, the way that I felt the way it had been written, which is, no, like, as much as this is painful for me, I don't think at any point I can imagine somebody... Oh, see, this is really, it's really hard because I don't want to put judgment on anybody in that scenario, but it just doesn't... It didn't feel like it, it, it got to the point where... I would have been in that situation in real life of not someone not seeing me for five years and suddenly saying, please, can you give an o- me an overdose and kill me? Um, and like, I feel like it, maybe it could have got there, maybe given two or three days of them kind of hanging out a bit more. But, you know, one push down to the beach and seeing some whales and the world's gone a bit screwed up. <laughs> and, you know, yes, I know that, you know, essentially she's she knows that she can just rewind time. Now, that's not to say 
I disagree with you, Jay, because I like the fact that things go so far off the rails. And when she tries to fix that one car crash incident, that um, you know you do end up in that scenario, and that's how that scene plays out. I just don't like the way that episode ends at all, and it I really it really put me off some of the the, the grander moments of that game. I think ultimately, what I might like to see is I. I like the story beats and I like how they play out and I like the relationships between the characters. I would kind of like to see how, like if you took an outline of these episodes and handed it to, I don't know, maybe the Telltale writing team or something, a different writing team. And I, I, I hate to put everything on the writers because on the other hand, who else are you going to put it on? Because some of this, some of the dialogue is just, it's bad. It's real. And I like bad movies and bad games sometimes, but I do not consider this to be a bad game. But yeah, even even for me, who I, I do consider this a game that I enjoy a lot. But God, that some of that dialogue is really tough to get through. But I, I do think that there is a good game underneath some of that. And it just depends on what you're focusing on, maybe. But also, I would like to see a different take on this particular on this particular series of episodes, I think. I think for me, like the reason why this becomes the uh, the iceberg that sinks the ship is because, like, Life is Strange is, is about the story. Mm. It's about the characters, the focus, like even like the mechanics of the game inform all of that stuff. And if what you're about is the biggest problem I have with this game then I'm not going to like the game. Like, Bayonetta does not have great dialogue or character beats, but Bayonetta doesn't care. Like, that's yeah. not what Bayonetta is about. Bayonetta is about getting <laughs> sick combos, brah. Like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a combat-focused game. And in that arena, Bayonetta is, like, you know, the one of the best examples. Whereas in the arena of, st- you know, story-focused um adventure games like there are so many examples that i can pick of that are better than this um like most of telltale's output is stronger in this regard there's so much to say about the writing um but i think we've we've put a a pretty decent sized dent in it so let's um let's talk about these specific episodes now we've had quite a lot of uh, correspondence and and it's all wonderful so i'm i'm going to try and read as much of it as we can um but uh let's let's kind of look at the episodes one by one see uh what they bring to the table as it were um let's start off with a couple of forum posts and uh, the first one is from buska lily who says i love this game right from the first episode which a lot of people wrote off some of the characters were irritating sure but very realistically so from that opening the story was a wonderful mix of character piece and thought-provoking exploration of time travel uh, Jakob G42 says, I'm sure there are games with worse writing than the first episode of Life is Strange. I sure couldn't think of any while I played through it, though. I jumped on that first episode early, mostly because I wanted to support a women-centric, non-violent, gorgeous-looking game. And while I did appreciate all of those things, lines like, wrong, you owe me hella cash, were laughable enough that I doubted I would stick around. And I didn't, until my friend begged me to play the rest so we could talk about it. And uh, the first in a series of uh, entries from uh, Joshi Hatsumitsu from the forum. Uh, Having grown up in a small town myself, I could instantly relate to Max. That feeling of returning to the place where you grew up and to see that the time has ticked onward without your influence or input and finding what was once familiar, safe and comfortable has now become utterly alien. Trying to find your place in that world again, a world that you are now an outsider from, is something I think many people can easily connect with. 
I appreciate that the game chose and stuck with a particular artist's visual style and that it is consistent throughout. I don't know if it has graphically improved much on the PS4, Xbox One, PC compared to the PS3 version that I'm playing, but I'm glad that instead of striving for photorealism or the Uncanny Valley, there's a slight watercolor look. It helps create a consistent tone and leaving certain details a little abstract allows your imagination to pull its weight a little. After all, art take two to make it work. One thing I did notice as the credits rolled was the use of motion capture, which was not something that crossed my mind as I played along. I guess what I'm trying to express is that I was so caught up in the story and the way the characters would react with each other that the technical aspects became an afterthought. Of course they would have used motion capture. Makes total sense in retrospect. I did read a few reviews prior to purchasing, and some of them mentioned the teen speak of the characters and that sometimes it can be a bit unrealistic or grating. Being a 36-year-old man, I cannot in any way vouch for how teenagers speak, especially young girls in the modern world, nor do I really care. None of it really distracted me from the story or the characters, and as someone who plays visual novels set in Japan, there's nothing about it that I found out of the ordinary or jarring. I love the little moments where Max would find a place to sit, and memory of a past interaction would play out not visually, but with just the voice acting. This reminiscing gave us a bit of insight into the characters' histories, and in keeping it in the present, rather than triggering a fully interactive flashback, it creates an interesting juxtaposition between more youthful, ignorantly blissful childhood memories with hopes and dreams, and how the passage of time has resulted in these characters having grown through different and difficult life experiences. It's a game that wants you to take your time and explore this world because it is about the story, not necessarily the gameplay. Because there's four episodes to go, I'll cut it off here and surmise that episode one did what a first episode should do, hook you into the world, characters, and story, and leave you wanting more. So, in the first episode, we meet a lot of characters, some of whom will turn out to be more important than others, uh, but to me, it feels like a slow start. Uh, It feels like it feels like a setup episode, and I mentioned earlier that I think that this is kind of a bad way to introduce people into your world, but I'm not sure how else they could have done it. Uh, in an episodic game where you're going to be giving away the first episode frequently, it, it's it's kind of a tricky situation to be in, so I'm not, I'm not sure how differently that could have happened, but um, we've talked a bit about the introduction into it, but uh, did anybody actually like the first episode or, or think that it was strong? Um, I didn't mind it, but I wouldn't say I thought it was particularly strong. Mm. This is going to sound really weak, but I can't tell you precisely what it was that sold me on it. <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, I like the the time travel mechanic essentially. So I thought, you know, this has potential there and it kind of could be interesting. But what I didn't do, I, I, when, I, when I was playing the first episode, I wasn't interested in doing any kind of um, extracurricular sort of conversational stuff. I literally would go from point A mm. to point B. I, I would follow the main plot thread rather than go wander around and talk to random people. So it felt very concise when I played it. It didn't feel like it went off the rails at all. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't that much conversation. Uh, See, I was completely the opposite. I talked to everybody. I clicked on everything I wanted to know. Because to me, that seemed like the stronger point of of particularly this episode, because there's not a whole lot going on story-wise other than the introduction to the main storyline. But you can learn a lot of things just by the ambient bits of scenery and by doing as uh, as one of our correspondents says by by doing the the sit animation there are um, there are several places where you can sit down and kind of hear flashbacks and you know hear things that are going on one of the things I did really like about this first episode is the sense of place in the way that Max kind of goes off into her own little world on occasion. Certainly, where the scene where she puts the set of headphones into her ears. I mean, the music in this game, you know, I really like. It's one of the highlights of this game for me, and it's it really. I don't know. It's that kind of 
takes her away into this place. And I think we've all been there before where, you know, set the headphones in and just everything around you just disappears. Mm-hmm. And I think that scene is really well done. It's one of the things that actually was like, ah, I could, okay, I could see myself liking this. I, I see where you're coming from, but this, this actually feeds into... One of my bigger problem, uh, one of my bigger problems with this game is that it, it references Donnie Darko really, really heavily. Um, it's the if if there's a big influence on this game, it's Donnie mm. Darko. But the difference is, um, whereas Donnie Darko is really, really obtuse and kind of, um, you know, plays with metaphor and symbolism and 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 is never on the nose about anything. Uh, Life is Strange takes those moments and then turns them into uh, literal moments, turns them into on-the-nose moments. And all that music stuff, in Life is Strange, it's like literally she's literally disappearing into Mm -hmm. her own world. She's literally putting her headphones in. Whereas in Donnie Darko, he's on a bike and that, like, you know, 80s music comes in. And and you're kind of getting that feeling without it being Mm -hmm. literally the case. Um, and like that kind of montage in Donnie Darko, where you get, kind of get introduced to all the the high school kids, and you get that you know music montage, which like I feel like is referenced at several points in Life is Strange, where Max is like walking through the hallways and all that mm-hmm. stuff is going on. You get that as well. It's like it, it's it it wants to be that kind of experience, and Episode One is setting that up, but then it strips strips away why those moments work in that film they're, they're, I was listening to um, the commentary on Dear Esther recently um, where Jessica Curry talks about the importance of music you know purely supporting the scene around you and actually not um, you know telling the player how they must feel and I feel like you know Life is Strange is one of those games where you know if a piece of music comes in it's like you must feel melodramatic now it's just that <laughs> you will feel this way god damn it and um, yeah, I, once again, it, it's because it's it doesn't use subtlety in any way. Um, yeah, I was I was not a fan of the music video moments in this game at all. Um, I found the overall, I found most of the soundtrack kind of insipid. Yeah, I, I was going to say like a lot of it was just plinky plonky indie. <laughs> yeah, music. I mean, I'm talking specifically about the licensed tracks. Yeah. I mean, I think um, Jonathan yeah. Morales' uh, score itself isn't bad. It's just uh, you know the licensed track stuff was like Ugh, mm. again. I liked how the music was used. It's not really my kind of music for the most part. Uh, it's fine. I didn't. I wasn't offended by it, but it it, it kind of felt like it fit. Um, but. What really bothered me writing-wise and I, I suppose to a point plot-wise, and this is this is a pretty common complaint uh, and in fact circulated when the first episode came out as one of the main things, I'm sure that even if you hadn't played uh, Life is Strange at the time, you probably saw the screenshot of Max in, I believe it's in Victoria's room, looking at a plasma TV, talking about how much she would love to watch Final Fantasy The Spirits Within on that beautiful TV because it's one of the best movies ever made and she doesn't care what anybody else says. And I'm thinking, really? I, I it's, it, We get it. Square Enix published. We, we get get it there's another moment later on that's more easily missable but uh it's when you are at chloe's house and you can go it's one of the sitting moments where you uh can go and sit on the uh, swing set in the backyard and uh, as you're sitting there it's a flashback between chloe and max and uh, chloe talks about how she's going to be very cool and she's going to be like lara croft and i'm like yep square enix again (laughs) but they they name drop a lot of things and sometimes it feels like 
it's a name drop for the sake of, hey, look, we're cool. We know about this stuff, which speaks volumes because it goes right along with the writing. Hey, look, we're cool. This is how the teens talk, right? Teens like, <laughs> teens like Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Teens like this kind of music and obscure bands. I, it, I, I didn't mind the music, but when it comes in that way, it, it's, it, it is kind of a turnoff. It's like the one of the car registration uh, license plate numbers is it's like Twin Peaks. TWN. Yeah, it's, it's Chloe's truck. Yeah, it's Chloe's truck. Was, yes. Right, and I was like, oh, because mm-hmm. you, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's throughout the game. It's plastered, but some of it is like you say. The, there's a point where with um, when Chloe's when you're meeting paralyzed Chloe, mm-hmm. and she's you know, let's watch Blade Runner and stuff, and it's just. Oh, really? A lot, a lot like, of the things whatever. that Warren said. Now, unpopular opinion, I like Warren, but uh, but yeah, he's he's one of the offenders there because they, and it's not Warren's fault, but um, but yeah, they, they write him to be making all of the pop culture references. So um, yeah, I, but uh, the other thing that, that really stood out to me in, in this first episode was that they are very clearly setting up a number of characters to be red herrings. And it is so ham-fisted that that I did not like. Like, they are clearly setting you up to think that David Madsen is a bad guy. They are clearly setting you up to think that Nathan Prescott is a bad guy, which he is. But, you know, uh, but it's it's very it's very heavy. And the one they also set you up, um, this one's a little... This one's a little odd, but they also set you up to think that there's something up with Samuel, the janitor, because when you go into his little back room, and you can do this, I think, a, a couple of times when you go back there to uh, turn on the sprinklers and everything, there's there's fashion magazines and there's things, there's pictures of Rachel and who knows, because clearly he's creepy, so he must have something to do with what's going on here. And yeah, and the first thing that that made me do just in general with, with all of those characters is just to go, okay, well, clearly it's not them. Somebody else is doing this because they're going way too hard on this. And that was true to an extent, but even so, like Nathan is still one of the big bad guys. Um, and yeah, I, I did not think that there was anything up with, with David from the beginning, other than that he was, possibly shell-shocked and they were doing a really poor job of integrating that particular uh, affliction moving right along um, into episode two which I personally felt was a much stronger episode um, we do have a or at least a stronger ending uh, we do have uh, some more from Joshi Hatsumitsu uh, who says if episode one was about discovering and coming to terms with Max's powers episode two is about establishing the limitations from the moment she gets her first nosebleed it becomes apparent that it is taking a physical toll on her and that there will be things outside her and subsequently the player's control Max's powers are ultimately about observation and paying attention to what's going on around her, and the ability to rewind only a short distance in the past to make adjustments. She hasn't become an all-powerful god, and she can't suddenly do Lara Croft-type headshots with a bow and arrow. She's still very human and still relatable. I notice some of the adult characters are a little off. I'm not sure if the issue I have with Samuel is the voice acting of the character model, but it doesn't feel quite right. And some of the people you meet outside of the Two Whales Diner seem a bit off, too. I get the reason that they are there, to provide exposition and backstory to Arcadia Bay as a town, but they don't quite gel. The adult in me regarding the train track scene is why are you lying down on a train track that is clearly in use you dumb dumb kids then the adult in me remembers all the stupid things i did growing up and then i have to bite my tongue still it is a scene that makes good if overly simple use of the rewind mechanic to solve a problem 
Uh, and spoiler alert, Kate Marsh. For me, I wasn't able to save her. And while I did try to rewind, there was nothing I could do. And for the sake of narrative integrity, I respect that it didn't pull any punches and that it demonstrated once again that despite Max's new power, she can't change everything. And some things in life are just out of your control, despite your best intentions. Uh, and so concludes episode two. I noticed more graphical glitches this time around, but hey, Unreal Engine, what can you do? I'm still invested in these characters in this story. I'm just going to take it as it comes and not worry of the conclusion, because much like Mass Effect, it isn't about the destination. It's about the journey. So episode two, well, I think the the main thing in this episode for most people is going to be uh, with Kate Marsh. Now, Kate, we haven't really talked about yet, but she is a a very religious character. Uh, She's presented as a uh, the good girl, air quotes, uh, which which she is. Uh, She is written as uh, being from a very religious family and uh, having very strict morality uh, about her but she also seems to be really a nice person like she doesn't seem judgmental she doesn't seem like she is uh, preaching hell and damnation if you don't follow the ways that she does she just knows that this is what she wants to be and the path that she wants to follow and that makes it particularly bad when she is uh You don't find out exactly what happened until a bit later on, but she is somehow manipulated into uh, being on a viral video that shows her doing things that she normally would never do. Uh, She's kissing a lot of people. She's uh, acting um, very promiscuous, which is something that she, in her normal everyday life uh would really not be doing uh so she of course gets very upset uh, everybody is very cruel to her uh you as max do also have the opportunity to be pretty cruel to her and there are a lot of things along the way that you can do to either help her or ignore her and it all culminates in a scene where she is on the roof of your dorm and you as max have to try to talk her back down Uh, and you can absolutely fail this in fact uh from what i understand it is very easy to fail this because there are a number of questions that she will ask you and a number of comments that you have to make in order to convince her that she's not alone and that people actually do care about her and you have to do it all without your powers because you kind of burn out and we did reference this uh a little bit beforehand But you try very hard to rewind and get her back up on the roof, and then something just kind of breaks, and everything around you is just frozen. And during this, you can make your way up to the roof, but you have used up so much of whatever it is that is powering these abilities that you have that you can't use them. You have to rely on what you have learned, or not learned, as the case may be, uh, or done or not done, to talk Kate into coming back down with you. So... What I would like to know is who saved Kate and who did not. I saved her. It, it, what's weird is when you go back at the end of each episode and you get the sort of um, the percentage mm-hmm. scores based on like the world players and then your friends list. But a lot of them were quite split. Usually it's like 48 to 52%. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of choices seemed quite evenly split. And that was one of them. Yeah. And I was thinking, really? Because that like I was quite surprised to see how many people let her. I think if you don't talk to her or if you just miss things, yeah. then I, that yeah. that contributes to it. You, you kind of there, – there's one in particular um, about her – she asks you who actually cares about her in her family or you have to pick who actually mm. cares about her in her family. And if you weren't actually looking around her room, that's one you can easily miss. I don't, I don't yeah. know if there's a certain yeah. – I, I don't know what the exact path is. I don't know if there are – 
It's with dad. It's her sisters. No, it's her dad. Um, is it? Because I picked oh, her, sisters her sisters, and she too. seemed to. Yeah. She, she she reacted to that. So because I just mm-hmm. knew that she was close to her younger yeah. sister. So it was just maybe. Well, maybe there are that, multiple that's choices. Yeah, but I, I don't know if it's something that like you can mess up once or twice, or you have to have everything nailed. I I don't know. Um, but I did. I did also end up saving her, and um, I. I, I felt that that was a really well done scene. This is probably the part of the game in general that I thought was the strongest. Josh, did you save Kate? She mm. died for me, unfortunately. Um, I, I was trying to save her, but um, it didn't work out. I think part of it was um, like I wasn't enjoying playing Life is Strange, so mm-hmm. part of it was that I wasn't really paying much attention to some of the stuff on the side so i really didn't know enough about kate to help her um and and i do agree with you um i think out of all the moments in this game this moment is the most successful piece of drama like it, it's it's easily my favorite moment in the game aside mm. from the most genuine isn't it That's yeah why. In, in terms of pure drama i think the the concept of um episode five is more interesting to me but in terms of execution um this is the strongest and and i think it's funny that like this is the one moment where time travel's not really mm-hmm. a thing like the one moment that where your choice feels like it really has like a dramatic impact on what you know people's lives is when the gimmick of the yeah. game is removed um and yeah i think that's very telling yeah so let's uh let's lead into episode three with another uh another bit from uh, Joshi Hatsumitsu, who says, After playing through the midpoint of this five-part story, I have to say that this is a particularly strong episode. One particular highlight was trying to break into the principal's office. After triggering the alarm, my first instinct was to run into the office and try and search as quickly as I could for clues. And after a few seconds, I remembered, oh yeah, I'm in the office. I can just rewind to before the pipe bomb is used and unlock the door from the inside. I like that the puzzle element of the series isn't out to stump you Resident Evil style with abstract or arbitrary goals, but really they are just there to make you feel a bit clever and not hold up the pace of the story being told. And if there ever was a Veronica Mars video game, I hope they use a similar style of gameplay. Essentially, Max's powers only really grant her insight, and the rewind function is just there to help you make use of that new information. The scene in the Two Wells Diner really highlights the strengths of this mechanic. Max may not be able to control everything and everyone, but she can use what she has to manipulate things to her advantage. Very detective-like. Makes me wish L.A. Noir did that. Just in case the audience was getting complacent, later in the game an opportunity to change a major event around four years prior ends up fixing one outcome, only to create a new set of problems. I love how this game is not presenting clear-cut, easy answers, and that regardless of your choices, not everyone will win. Max is both powerful and powerless at the same time, and even with the best of intentions, she's still at the mercy of powers and events beyond her control. From the start, my only rule was make a decision and make it with conviction. Even with the rewind function, the story still needs to move forward, and the only way is to make a choice and stick with it. It's a game that gives me a sense of agency, which is an ultimately linear experience, is quite an achievement. And I tend to ignore those statistics regarding decisions other people made. It takes me out of that world a little too much. There's a time for meta, and it's not during this game. So uh, there are a couple of things that I agree with in there, and that would be um, that the interesting style of the gameplay puzzles. I, I, I tended to like most of the gameplay puzzles unless they were the go collect five bottles style of puzzles, um, which breaking into the office tended toward that a little bit because you had to go find everything. But um, but still, I, I think that one was a little bit better. Uh, 
the uh, the thing that I'm I'm not so sure about is the uh, the statistics. I found those things interesting, so um, that that was that was kind of neat. There are no good choices in some of these positions, and and I like that. I like I like it when you have, and this is something that I also really liked about the first season of The Walking Dead, Telltale's Walking Dead, is that sometimes you have to make a choice that really sucks, and no amount of staring at the screen is going to make the choice not suck because there are only two choices and you have to do one of them and neither one of them is good. So leaving Chloe to suffer or anesthetizing Chloe, uh, neither of those are good. There, there are a a number of places that I felt that, um, that, that it's not, it's just not good. Um, So while I continue to say it's not good, um, what about uh, episode three? Did uh, did uh, you guys find good or bad or in between or? So e- episode three was kind of when um, my opinion of Life is Strange was starting to solidify, and then the ending kind of threw me off. So I hate Frank and and I hate David. And I think a lot of this uh, episode is focused on David and Frank, um, and I think they're the like po- possibly the two worst characters in the game. Yeah, and they and they, um, they want you to hate them, but at the same time, yeah. like they, they they try to pull them around and make them sympathetic characters in the end, and by that time it's kind of too late because they've done. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's it's yeah, Mm-mm. it's not elegant. It's like they've driven all the way <laughs> to the point where they're like awful people and then just did a sharp turn and I'm just like suffering from the whiplash of like oh I I'm meant to like David now. Okay. Um it's they're both yeah. very odd characters in in terms of how they realize and and I think Episode three is kind of like a lot of it is just like the uh, the 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 thing is if they were made to be kind of if their negative qualities were grounded in something that was sympathetic, they they would I think they would benefit from the kind of um, redemption that they get, but because they're just awful people and then suddenly they're good i just don't i none of that imp- that in, that intended impact is entirely lost i do think the way this episode ends and teases the beginning the beginning of um episode 4 the dark room with um you know you going into the photo uh, preventing um, the death of uh, Chloe, mm-hmm. uh, Chloe's dad, and then realizing the impact of that—that's a great setup for the next episode. Um, and and I, I, apart from all the issues that me and Jay um, already expressed about kind of the setup of that power, I do think that's interesting conceptually, and that's what kind of like hooked me into like let's mm-hmm. let's carry on with this. I liked the backstory of Chloe in this section. Yeah, meeting her father, meeting you know, even um seeing her mother kind of talk the way around David is actually a good man. You just don't understand him. You're like you're like okay, well maybe there is more to his character. It's a bit ham-fisted for sure, but it gives you a little bit more insight of how Chloe's kind of ended up being a bit more headstrong. You know, defending herself in her own kind of a little world after her father's dies, and you know, you know, I, I suppose I could put myself there a little bit. You know, imagining how that could pan out in my own life, and ultimately seeing how. Just because maybe you could fix that doesn't fix anything. The the thing is, it's it's really obvious. Mm. 
so so it's not a great piece of storytelling but i i do like the fact that i got to know you know chloe's backstory just a little bit to see what all this referencing was about i mean this is essentially where the game decides that you know it's less interested in in that side of stuff you know halfway through episode three it's kind of like okay we've done the teen drama we've done that kind of you know messing around with characters in in this universe now let's talk about time travel and like there's a there's a clear split at this point by the end of this episode um and it kind of just it it foreshadows well we've left that behind and off we go yeah i i don't think that this was the strongest episode for me but it it's it's building and i i I liked that as well so and uh a bit more from uh from joshi hatsumitsu going into episode four there is a certain choice that must be made at the beginning of this episode at least in my playthrough concerning chloe and at first my feelings were that ultimately the choice was arbitrary, that this was an alternate timeline and that it wouldn't matter anyway once I returned to the main story. But after a bit of thought, I realized that while the decision will not really affect the overall gameplay, it was a decision that was less about role-playing as Max and more about asking myself what would Max do in this situation. Really, the game was asking me, the audience, if you took away all the emotional fallout, all the legal issues, and all the politics, and if there was ultimately no consequences for the decision you make, would you honor Chloe's wish? Choice I made was to ultimately honor Chloe's wish, and that decision was more reflective of my beliefs than Max. And while gameplay-wise, it kind of didn't matter either way, I guess the point was to bring the issue of euthanasia up to get the audience to at least think about it. I'd spent a lot of time getting to know Chloe, and I did hesitate and try to find ways around it, but a decision had to be made. And I'm sure others made a different decision at that point, and that while the decisions of others may be different to mine, they are just as valid. Apart from that, there are too many good things to say about this episode. It's fair to say that this episode would mean nothing if it wasn't for the previous episodes building very successfully up to this point. This is my first playthrough, and knowing that despite its overall linearity, other people will have their own experiences, not just because of choice, but through having to face their beliefs and make decisions based on that. It's an interesting game, one where I intended to roleplay and ended up being much more invested in than I initially expected. So a lot of things happen in episode four. Um, We just heard a bit about uh, Chloe, which we... uh, referenced at the uh, at the end of episode three just just now um so what uh, what did you do to to or with or for chloe did you honor her wish did you not honor her wish and was it what max would have done or or how did you make that decision i suppose it seems weird i okay, i didn't honor her wish um i guess it was from mm. a personal point of view um as i said before the very earlier in the episode like I just didn't feel that I had all the information that was presented to me. Yes, I clearly she's in a, a state of um, you know being paraplegic from the neck down, and, and that's terrible. But I didn't feel like I knew everything about her condition, her even her mindset. She could have just been having a really mm-hmm. bad day, as some people do. And yeah, I just I I never felt like the game justified enough for me making such a huge decision and it felt a little insulting to be honest that <laughs> i was given that choice um so i just went no um sorry if i'm i i, I would need more time i'd need more facts i'd need you know a discussion maybe a, you know one or two more days to be set with you but just one night watching blade runner wasn't enough to convince me that you know i was there to to end her life as controversial as that may be uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they they do tell you that like Chloe's going to yeah. die anyway. Yeah, you find the letter they? of the doctor dying. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. So like she's already on the way to dying, and basically the choice really for me is: does she have a protracted, you know, painful death in the state that she's in, or can I let her go peacefully and let her kind of go out on her own terms and 
that's what I chose. I think the problem for this moment is what Tony's saying is that it is kind of poorly poorly set up in that like I don't believe Chloe would ask somebody a, a friend that she hasn't seen in five years to make this choice. Like that's if if they'd known each other for the, throughout that entire time, yes, sure, but like it's a weird one. Like I I think Kate, um, the the moment with Kate is much more successful yeah. dramatically, whereas this feels like it's trying to go for the same thing, but um, ultimately I don't I don't think it lands the same impact. I couldn't kill Chloe uh, because I did not think that it was what Max would do. Now, my personal views on the situation are somewhat different from that. However, it just in that I, I really do try to put myself in the into the character and make it kind of a a combination of what I feel the character would do and what I want the character to be doing in these types of games. And I just didn't think that that would happen. And that kind of does a turn by the end of the game for me. And I don't know, I it, it, it was a difficult choice to have to make. Um, and I did not think that it had the impact uh, as as we kind of a, agreed, I think, in general, uh, of the episode with Kate, but it was still tough, intentionally so. Yeah, but does, does some of that come down to the fact with, with Kate, you know, once that scene's happened, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, there is no yeah. do-over. In this scene, you know, you, you know that, okay, you made that choice, but she's going to... So ultimately, you know, you're going to go back, you know, Chloe will still, still be there. And so it comes down to a personal choice for sure. But at least with Kate, mm-hmm. you know, it does take that away. It's just the choice is the choice. It happens and they make reference to it and there's nothing you can yeah. do about it. Your powers are taken away. So the other big thing that happens in uh, this episode is that you find out if you hadn't already pieced it together, that Mark Jefferson is uh, the big bad involved in in the abductions and the drugging and uh, murder, eventually, of uh, some of the female uh, students of Blackwell. Uh, he is responsible for Rachel Amber, who, uh, well, actually, I suppose he's not. Isn't it uh, that um, Nathan actually kills her and yeah. uh, and Jefferson helps him cover it up? Yeah. Mm. So, um, but he is the one who is kind of nurturing Nathan uh, through this horrible thing that has taken him over. So, uh, you, this is this is the big reveal at the end when you are uncovering Rachel's body uh, and find out that uh, that Jefferson is now abducting you as Max and uh, and taking you down into the dark room. So, uh, was this? I, were you surprised? I I had not really picked that out before, and playing through a second time, it it, it was really kind of interesting too, because they, they they do some flashbacks to uh, a lot of the things that he says and a lot of the things that he does, and in retrospect, yeah, okay, maybe we should have seen this coming, but um, but I I I hadn't actually pegged that yet. Uh, how about how about you guys? Did anybody actually was anybody not surprised when Jefferson showed up? I definitely didn't have any levels of Scott Shelby anger when his <laughs> face turned up on the screen or anything. Mm-hmm. But it was um, but yeah, he did. They did catch me a little bit off guard. I wasn't expect because I guess because they'd clearly sort of played it so Nathan was set up quite sufficiently mm-hmm. to be that character. On the surface, it seems to work, but I still kind of felt a little perturbed by it and I don't really know precisely why is it because I you know a was I did I feel that I wasn't smart enough to figure it out beforehand why did I not see this coming or there was something about it that didn't work 
for me, but I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I can put my finger exactly on it. Um, it's because I'd forgotten he was even part of the story <laughs> up until this this twist. Like when you have a character who is revealed to be the ultimate antagonist. Yeah. They're usually a part of the story for the majority of the experience. Mm. So when it's revealed, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You were under my nose Mm. this entire time. Um, Whereas here it's like, oh, I guess he's the bad guy then. Oh, right. (laughs) I I remember you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it just doesn't land with any kind of impact. And, like, you do find out that they do, you know, foreshadow it Mm -hmm. in episode one with that really clunky dialogue where he says, I could capture you at a moment of desperation and a du- and you're like oh god how did i not see this but like he had not he he hadn't been on screen for so long that this this reveal just didn't land yeah i hadn't i hadn't really thought about that but he's not really there for the bulk of episode 2 and 3 really well, actually, I guess more like three in the beginning of four. He's there for a bit in two, but I, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of that. But uh, that makes a lot of sense. Nathan is clearly a bad guy and is one of the bad guys. I was okay with how it wound up, but they could have scattered more of the hints and the clues and the foreshadowing of Jefferson through the rest of it. I think. So let's wind down with the uh, the last entry from uh, Joshi Hatsumitsu, who says of episode five. I'm not a huge fan of serialized storytelling. It's so easy to begin, build things up, and expand on all characters and backstory and to not have a satisfying conclusion or quite know how to wrap everything up. There are exceptions, as there are to any rule, but I tend to prefer movies to television series. It's much easier to pace a 90-minute movie than an 8-10 to hour story arc. And I start with that because for me, Life is Strange nails the landing. The conclusion is very satisfying to me. Not because you could make choices, but because those choices mattered. The relationship between Max and Chloe was one I completely invested in and cared a lot about. Had they not got that right, then any choice would have been a gimmick and nothing more. Taking a step back after playing through this five-episode arc, it's very apparent that a lot of thought and care went into the pacing of the story, and the core characters in this story were very well written and acted, acting which also encompassed body language through motion capture very convincingly. There were some side characters that slid more into the realms of caricature, but because the game gets so much right, it's easy to overlook and forgive. Plus, no QTEs. I can't believe I got through five straight episodes of a story-driven game with no QTEs in sight. Very disciplined. Again, I did experience the occasional glitch, which one particular touching conversation between Max and Warren turned into a demonstration of Max's remarkable talent for ventriloquism. It's a bit of a shame, but then I didn't experience anything game-breaking either, so again, it's a flaw I can overlook. In a nutshell, at full retail price, you get an embarrassing amount of high-quality, though maybe not flawless content. And this is a game that is frequently on sale, so there's even more reason to get it. And yet, despite all the kind words, I won't be playing back through this game, at least not for a while. And the reason? I've made my choices and I got the story and outcomes I deserved. To replay and try and change everything might ruin the magic for me, and I just don't want to undermine the experience. After all, what value does a decision have if there are no consequences? Now, I agree with that part to uh, an extent. I, In games like this, I still have not replayed uh, the first Walking Dead series um, because I don't think that... I could go back through that and have it have the same impact. This was not quite that, but I didn't really have any intention of replaying until the podcast rolled around about it. And uh, and then it made me want to kind of go back and, and see things again. But for games like this, where decisions are at least at least nominally, they are the, the kind of driving force behind the plot and behind what ultimately happens. I like the idea that my choices lead to my story and 
even if the endings are basically the same. What I did, and, and this is the same way that I felt about Mass Effect. I've played through each Mass Effect one time, and that's it, because that's my shepherd, that's my story, and that's it. So I don't know. I, I, I think that I agree with a lot of uh, of what he is saying here. Um, the bit about the well-written, I don't know about that so much. But uh, the acting, I for the most part, I enjoyed. And um, uh, overall, even though the dialogue was frequently stilted and frequently awkward... I, I liked the relationships that were built particularly between the main characters. Um, that said, the ending of this game, let's talk about that. Uh, so you're trapped in the dark room and you have to get out and maybe save Arcadia Bay, maybe not save Arcadia Bay. Um, this is where we run into uh, a number of the mechanics that are only briefly touched on earlier in the story, such as traveling through the photographs. Everything kind of starts to disintegrate, and um, that stealth section can uh, die in a fire, as far as I'm concerned. That was the one part that I really did not, emphatically did not like about the game. Um, but everything everything felt dr- very dramatic for me. Everything felt very... Um, it was definitely pushing toward the end point, and um, and I'd like to hear what you guys thought about that before we actually talk about the final, final choice that you make. I found the sequence where David uh, walks into the dark room and tries to stop Mr. Jeff- uh, Jefferson particularly funny. Um, so the, the, for anyone who's listening the, to this who hasn't played the game, the way it plays out is you're strapped in a chair and uh, David kind of runs in and then Mr. Jeff, Jefferson hears him. He sets up to ambush him, smacks him in the head and essentially kills him. And then you rewind time and basically slowly figure out how to get David into a situation where he can overcome the scenario but there's a bit so part of that is like um getting him to take one more photo so david has more time to get into the room stuff like that but there's a sequence towards the end of that where you're rewinding time several times changing stuff in quick succession but they all end with david getting shot and killed and it was just this hilarious moment where i kept rewinding time again and again repeat david dead david dead and it got to the point where i'd done that so many times it was just so funny that david kept falling down die and if if Dave if I was invested in David's character, I'm sure I would find that that sequence more tragic and um, dramatic in the way it's intended to be. But because David was such a caricature, it ended up being like a Monty Python yeah. sketch by the end of it. It was like the fact that you're constantly through all the previous episodes, it's referenced that he's a combat veteran, an ex-soldier, and he mm-hmm. comes in in the most clumsy way of entering the room to get knocked out by a guy holding a tripod. And it's just like, oh, really? I did kind of like the uncomfortable nature by of the whole thing. It's once again the game veers all over the place, but there's definitely a, a part with Mr. Jefferson of you know him being just creepy, like too creepy, too like well what it's it's just photos, but mm. it, yeah, clearly it's not. It's it's more like you you do get to that. He doesn't earn it, yeah. right? Because you know he, you've you've seen him a little bit at the start, and then instead he turns up this caricature at the end. But you're like, I do not like you at all. 
Um, and I do not like the way this scene is set out. And I do not like the way that you're looking at me as a character. So I was quite happy at the point where eventually he got shot in the head by David. Um, and I decided not to change that because <laughs> he, he just deserved it in the end. But I, I do wonder... <sighs> I mean, I don't want them to just change, completely change their narrative of the game. This is what they chose. But I do wonder if this was the way to go down. Has I always felt like the storm itself and the way that Max's breaking down time was a good enough um, threat to everybody and everything that it didn't need the, um, Mr. Jefferson at the end to be this this character that, you know, mm. essentially mm. has been killing people. I don't know. It just, it, it never particularly set with me right. And Yeah, the, the, the thing is, like, I don't... I don't actually have a problem with Mr. Jefferson being, you know, essentially a psychopath serial killer. What I have a problem with is, like, why does it have to be photography? Like, I... Because it, it, again, kind of links into, like, my problem with the adult characters kind of being defined by one thing. And, like, like Hannibal Lecter, like, you know... How, what does eating people have to do with being a psychologist? Oh, that is explained in the like, books, though, isn't it? What I'm saying is there's more to it than, like, everything about Hannibal mm. Lecter coming down to just one aspect. Yeah, yeah. Like, they feed into each other yeah. because when you have interests and in you have hobbies and you have an occupation, there is, like, that web of, you know your personality will be naturally attracted to these things like psychology for Hannibal Lecter is because it's it gives you a power over someone it gives you insight into their mind and a serial killer would find that mm -hmm. appealing so if like the photography thing was just a vehicle for Mr. Jefferson to get close to these kids and underneath it all like he's actually like it's just straight serial killing it's nothing to do with photography that makes more sense to me but like this kind of weird gimmick just feels odd and and also like i i, I agree that this this whole serial killer plot is really unnecessary and i feel like this is another moment where this game's desperate need to be compared to donnie darko is hampering it because mr jefferson very is very explicitly the patrick swayze character i feel in in donnie darko where he's the you know the character that inspires everyone in the community and it turns out he has a dark secret that our hero expo you know exposes like it's very very mm -hmm. similar like um, obviously, they 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 hammer it home in Life is Strange in a way that they don't do in uh, in uh, Donnie Darko. Again, that's like you know that's the big difference between those this film and this game is that everything has to be literal, everything has to be on the nose here. Whereas, like you know, Patrick Swayze's character is arrested off screen in uh, Donnie mm -hmm. Darko. Yeah, it just it feels like they're they're trying to hit that same beat, but just no nowhere near as successfully. Let's talk about the final choice. I will say that I chose the town. Um, I let um, I let Chloe go. I would respond to that by saying that you're a monster. What? And, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, to me, like... <laughs> To me, the choice was like this one one person's life over a whole town. Like you, by choosing to save Chloe, you you have become a mass no, no, murderer. No, no, that's what I said. There's I chose my, my... the town. I let Chloe go. Oh, sorry. I, <laughs> I thought, was going to say, like, sorry. what? You really had those strong feelings um, for Chloe? <laughs> 
no. Oh God, I I completely missed that. See, I I heard that as uh, you chose the town to oh, die, oh, and oh, you let oh. and you let you let Chloe it's, off. It's the I chose the town to die, so you can. Okay, so it's Tony who's the monster here. Okay, we see. Yeah. I'll save you. So carry on, Josh. As you were saying. Sorry. Um, in which case, actually, we, we're agreed. In terms of drama, in terms of narrative, story structure, I think it it makes more sense for Chloe to die. That's a more satisfying ending. Um, and, and also, like, what life are they going to live? Like, a- after, like, choosing to save Chloe over the rest of the town, she, like, Max has to live with the guilt of so many people's deaths. Including like, that, Chloe's that, that... mother. Yeah, like... That that's not a moral choice. Yeah. Like she is, she's chosen to kill so many people, yeah. and and it's the fact that Chloe was asking, like asking you to make this choice. She consented to it. She consented to you sacrificing her in the face of all these people dying. Um, so it like it was the only choice that made sense to me. Yeah, I feel I feel the same with that. Just because it you have gone up to this point seeing how badly things can go if you screw with time that much, particularly in the last episode where everything is just completely off the rails. And and for me, it would not have felt right to see all of that and to see how badly. And you, she doesn't. Neither of them know. Neither Chloe nor Max knows if. Max were to choose Chloe, how do they know that this isn't going to continue to have these catastrophic consequences? You know, this might follow them because Chloe is not supposed to be alive at this point. And if Max hadn't messed with it, she wouldn't be. So I I didn't want to kill Chloe, but I couldn't justify having her above the town. My justifications were this. I was off the wagon by this point of this game. A lot of the previous stuff that had already happened in the last you know, two or three hours had kind of left me to the point that, not that I didn't care, that I kind of just wanted to see max mm. devastation of everything about this universe. I don't think really think that whatever ending I chose was going to move on to a sequel with, you know, I didn't know there was one at that time, but, and maybe it will. Maybe I'll suddenly have Max and uh, Chloe in my game and, and nobody else will, but. I highly un- I doubt that. The, the the right choice, if there is such a thing, would be obviously to end, end the whole time travel thing and just, you know, see Chloe's death. But there was a part of me that just wanted to, to see the devastation of everything that belonged um, in Arcadia Bay and kind of see the end of Arcadia. <laughs> so you actually are a and, monster. Josh was right. Wow. Yeah, I, I probably <laughs> am. Um, given that choice in real life, I'm sure that I'd, I'd gone the other way, but, you know. <laughs> And it was actually pretty close to 50-50, um, oddly enough. Uh, mm. I, it was a little bit skewed towards uh, towards letting the town live, uh, but not much. I, I, I want to say it was, uh, you know, below 60% uh, versus above 40% for, for the, uh, the two choices. So we've had quite a lot of feedback, which is great. And uh, if you would like to leave feedback for any of our upcoming episodes... You can email us, podcast at or you can post on our forums, canarinse.com slash forums. And uh, our first feedback bit here is from uh, James Cresswell, who emailed in and says, if you told me when I first played Life is Strange that it would later become one of my favorite games of that year, I would have been incredibly surprised, partly because this would imply real-life time travel antics, but mainly because I initially disliked it so much that I almost regretted having rushed to buy the season pass. Gripes mainly revolved around the fact that our main character is a photography student 
who inexplicably takes selfies very, very seriously, and that a big chunk of the first episode involves walking around the courtyard having stunted, awkward conversations with the other students at the school, who I would, in this section of the game at least, sum up as an irritating cluster cluster of mid-pubescent human abominations. That's rough. I carried on, partly on the basis that The Longest Journey, one of my favorite games, has a similarly kind of rough start, and I'm glad I did. The game improves massively during the section at Chloe's house, partly, I'll admit, because one of my favorite Sparkle Horse songs was playing at this point. It finds its feet a little, and it was the point where I first felt the autumnal, melancholic, nostalgic tone that resounds through the rest of the game. After this point, Life is Strange frequently manages to transcend its flaws and does a much better, more subtle job of introducing its characters and their individual stories, focusing on a supernatural mystery, but keeping a number of engaging stories going on around the periphery of the temporal antics, which deal with a variety of sometimes surprisingly heavy themes in a way that is commendably never too heavy-handed, and show where Don't Nods shapes the often borderline hilarious teenage awkwardness of the writing into something of a charmingly unique way of presenting its setting and story. It brings to mind an article on Kill Screen about Final Fantasy VIII, arguing how that game accurately recreates the pure feeling of being a teenager through how it veers toward the bombastic, the emotionally charged, and the ridiculous. Being in my 20s, and soon to be late 20s at that, it is this theme of nostalgia for one's teenage years that was the aspect of Life is Strange that most resonated with me. The time manipulation mechanic was used excellently to make the player think about how dangerously easy it is to become lost in dwelling on how things could have gone differently, and how you can get so lost in thinking about what was and what could have been that you could risk losing all connection to your present and future. It was a weird coincidence that I found similar themes cropping up in a lot of books I'd been reading about at the same time. I'd strongly recommend A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan and The Rehearsal by Eleanor Catton to anyone who liked this game, by the way. And to cut a long story short, I got to thinking about it so much that it ended up inspiring me to record an album loosely based around escapism through nostalgia. I'll end this overlong email by saying that one of the strongest aspects of the game was its episodic nature. It was a story that suited being fed to the player gradually throughout the year and each episode, instead of relying purely on cliffhangers to keep the player hooked, was structured to feel sufficiently standalone while offering a lot to think about during the interval. This and Kentucky Route Zero have given me faith in the episodic format and I'd love there to be another series that defines a year in gaming as much as this one did for me. P.S. In retrospect, I think that the surprise at seeing how many people chose to sacrifice the town at the very end of the game was an early warning of other bizarre democratic Shyamalan twists. Cough, Brexit, cough, Trump, that would follow. From the forum, ENW78 says, This is an episode I'll really be looking forward to. Absolutely love this game. It was a real emotional journey. Remember seeing Chloe in the wheelchair and just being floored. Don't Nod created such a great game world that I got lost in. Save the soundtrack on my Spotify as well, and it plays a huge part in making the game what it is. Uh, Matt and Swy from the forum says, I think Life is Strange is a perfect example for how video games have changed in the past decades. The graphics might be meh, I find the gameplay mechanics might be dull, but somehow this video game worked for me. It shows me how important storytelling has become in video games and that gameplay doesn't have to be a mechanical thing, but an emotional thing. It plays with your emotions and your attachment to the characters. Instead of playing the infamous space marine shooting exploding Nazi zombies, you're playing a female teenager dealing with social problems which later might start an apocalypse. It might be this very brave setting that made me forget I was playing another Unreal 3 engine game. Instead, I was participating in a story with characters I actually cared about. I fell in love with this game, its characters, its soundtrack, and I hope that Don't Nod will make more games like this one. And even though Life is Strange's gameplay might be a bit boring, I think it works better than most Telltale games. Life is Strange makes me feel like a teenager, which isn't always fun, but always exciting. 
Slim from the forum says, I believe I picked up Life is Strange right off the back of Undertale with the mindset of I want to feel things, which is an odd thing to say, but it is what drew me, drew me to it in the first place. I certainly wasn't disappointed. While I'd heard people say it was high school girl simulator in a spiteful way, I actually thought this was the best thing about it. The way you awkwardly make conversations and try to deal with the daily minutia was for me the best part of the game. The supernatural gimmick of time travel was certainly cool and I thought very appropriate for the setting, given that I'm sure many of us wish we could take back something we said in high school or undo an embarrassing moment at that awkward time in life. I found the crime and mystery part a little predictable, but that didn't make it any less enjoyable. There are many moments that people want to talk about in this game, much like the whole Walking Dead, what did you do when? And I think that's what makes it a good game. For me, one moment that really stuck out is when you're hiding in the cupboard and have to watch David and Chloe have an argument. This situation felt very real, and because of that, I think it had a much bigger impact than some of the more dramatic moments in the game. Sure, no one's going to die there, but the consequences were so much more believable, and I think that's where the strength of this game lies. I'm not one of those people that thinks all of my decisions should pay off in some neat bundle at the end. I like each choice to feel important when it happens, and I think that's something that Life is Strange does so well, and it really has to because you can play out every choice. So to still make you wonder which the right one is, is really something special. Deacon050C from the forum says... Being a fan of the Telltale games from Walking Dead and onwards, I pretty much expected to like a game such as Life is Strange. I did not expect to love it and become one of my favorite story-based games ever. I think what attracted me to the game was the type of game it is and the element of time travel. I love the science fiction element, and for it to be a gameplay element made it even more enticing. I bought the season pass and was ready for the story of Max and Chloe. I loved the story, the characters, and more than any Telltale game, I felt the weight of my choices. I felt the connection of Max and Chloe. Their stories were equally intriguing and heartfelt. Even as the other students at Max's school get their moments, I remember being on the edge of my seat as I tried to prevent a suicide attempt and the relief when I was able to. So many moments drew me in, breaking into the school, investigating a disappearance, and more. I actually felt disappointment upon my completion of the penultimate episode. Not because the episode was bad, but rather because I knew that this tale was coming to a close. I felt a connection with the world of Arcadia Bay, and I did not wish to leave it. After making one final decision, the story was over. Although I went back to take all the photos and get my platinum trophy on PS4, I wanted more. Yet I was emotionally satisfied with what is a great narrative-driven game that is one of the best examples of its genre in this modern gaming era. Life is in fact strange, but the quality of this game is not. It deserves all the praise it can get. Dom's Beard from the Forum I really enjoyed it, a total change of pace compared to what I had been used to with the Telltale games. I knew it was special when at the end of episode one, I was presented with a page full of small incidental decisions that I hadn't even noticed, watering your plant, emails, finding a pregnancy test. It made me explore and bring out more of the story in the other episodes. I thought they handled, if it happened in your playthrough, Kate's suicide really, really well, as it is a very sensitive subject. I thought it was ironic that this has happened to me on my playthrough, as I actually do volunteer work specializing in this in real life. Some of the characters are annoying, as was some of the speech used, but I think that's because it's what teenagers are like. I'd love to see the thoughts of someone that age actually playing with it, playing it. The high point for me was going back and being able to save Chloe's dad. Her dad not being there and seeing how it had affected her life and the option to do this felt quite powerful at the time, as was the fallout from it. I thought the ending was okay. I preferred the journey. I would absolutely recommend it to anyone if any of what is mentioned on this thread piques your curiosity. Chase 210 from the forum. Life is Strange is such a weird game for me. It's not especially visually pleasing. The voice acting and script can be dodgy. The gameplay can often be boring. Yet it's one of the best told, most emotional stories in a game I can recall, at least in this gaming generation, so to speak. Max and Chloe are a very endearing pair, which really sells the game. I usually dislike having to go around a game, finding extra stuff and collectibles to flesh out a story, but I didn't mind it one bit in Life is Strange because all the characters were so charming and engaging, and I wanted to see the end of their story. 
except Warren. I have the same standout moments as anyone, I imagine. The end of episode two, saving Kate, the end of episode three, and the beginning of episode four, as Max has to deal with the consequences of her actions, finding out who the villain is, and of course, the ending. Wow, truly, it blew me away. I've written this paragraph out, and although Life is Strange is a game with time travel as a central theme and game mechanic, I haven't mentioned it at all before now. How strange. It also leads to some of the best gameplay sequences, and of course, greatly enhances the storytelling. I just don't think of it much when I play the game. I love Life is Strange, and I would recommend it to anyone, especially since it's cheap as chips these days. Chopper from the forum. I really enjoyed Life is Strange. For me, it's a weird pastiche of naturalistic storytelling and video gamey happenings. Some of the characters are great, some not so believable. I was super surprised that this was the follow-up game to Remember Me, which I also enjoyed. Don't not employ some really talented people. There were some real highlights in the five episodes. Scenes involving Kate, Chloe, and Chloe's parents were emotional high points. And while it had flaws, the overall result was really interesting and ultimately one of the better narrative games. Alex79UK says... I finished the whole game. That was brilliant. There have been some lengthy posts already, so I'll keep mine brief. The game was just full of memorable moments, from the first time you realized you could rewind, something I had no idea about coming into the game, to the altercations with Frank, talking Kate down from the roof, and seeing Chloe in the wheelchair. But the standout moment for me was the reveal of Mr. Jefferson as the mastermind behind the evil plot. Genuinely chilling, he makes for an excellent villain. Oh, and not forgetting seeing Chloe get shot in the head by him. That was a real oh-my-god moment. I know people, not necessarily on this forum, have said they found it difficult to relate to or care about the characters, but I found the opposite. Not so much to relate to, but I really did care what happened to these people in the end, although I did sacrifice Arcadia Bay in the final choice of the game. Just a truly excellent piece of work from start to finish. I may add some more comments once it's all had time to sink in a bit more and I pick apart the plot, but right now, having finished it less than 10 minutes ago, I thought it was damn awesome. Great story, entertaining gameplay, and a roller coaster ride all the way. Marco from the forum says, Having picked this up after episode 5 was released, I was able to play Life is Strange in a few sittings within a short space of time, and I feel that was to the game's benefit. Although I enjoyed the first episode overall, some of the dialogue was a tad too cringy for me. Too much teen drama, everyone an archetype. Thankfully, the characters turn out to be more rounded, the dialogue improved, and the decisions more impactful. I would be interested to hear opinions of anyone who played this as each episode was released to see if this was just me. I thought that the ability to rewind time would make decision-making pointless. Instead, the freedom to blatantly dive into bins and read private letters with the person concerned right next to me and with no repercussions proved irresistible. I thought I was a better person than this. Apparently not. This, combined with the choices that can't be rescinded, created moments that I still haven't forgotten. It didn't feel cheap to me to take my power away, but then again, Kate lived in my playthrough and there was always the possibility this could happen again and I wouldn't know when. I would urge anyone who was thinking about playing this but hasn't managed to get around to it yet to do so. Jakob G42 from the forum... More than two years after finishing the first episode, I cried openly through the ending. I'm honestly not sure if the writing got better, but I sure as hell got invested in the characters somehow. Maybe it's because, even though they're all somewhat goofy, they're absolutely true to themselves with all their strengths and flaws. Maybe it's because the rewind mechanic offers the wonderful ability to analyze their responses to a whole host of provocations. Maybe the writers really did find their voice, and it just took a couple episodes to get there. Characters would surprise me. The conversation in the darkroom with David especially stands out, but never felt like they were betraying themselves, with the possibility of that Jefferson twist, although they retconned it pretty effectively. I'm interested in what the legacy of Life is Strange will be. I feel like I haven't heard it talked about much in the time since its release, and I worry that it will mostly be forgotten as time goes on, and that's a shame. Max would take a Polaroid of Life is Strange. It's an awkward, fleeting, but ultimately beautiful butterfly of a game. What I chose, Bay with a Y, over Bay with an E, in my heart, Bay with an E, over Bay, always. 
Telepri from the forum says, I played through Life is Strange at probably the perfect time in my life. I was just starting my fourth semester at college where I was unhappy with my major and on the verge of changing it, though unsure to what at the time. I connected with the characters in the setting almost immediately. I can recognize that the dialogue is less than perfect, but I was ready to embrace it in all of its hella hipstery goodness. After all, I say things twice as dumb every day. Also, bay with an E over bay with a Y. At some point, you need to stop f***ing with time. The end seemed like a fine enough place for me. The Reviewist... I've just marathoned Life is Strange this week, despite having played the demo on release and picking it up in a sale last year. Somehow, the combination of Telltale-esque gameplay and Dawson's Creek-style teenage angst never quite appealed to me, so it's with some surprise that I found the overall game really quite enjoyable. It's true that Life is Strange is more than a little bit derivative and knowingly wears that upon its sleeve, most notably in that it tries to rework the concept of the butterfly effect films almost exactly, with a little splashing of Twin Peaks and a Susan of Stephen King's 11-22-63, all of which let them concentrate on a more personal set of stories that veer from the serious to the slightly silly yet still managing to be largely interesting and captivating in a soap opera fashion. That said, while I enjoyed Life is Strange, I have to be blunt in that I found only two of the five episodes to be truly captivating, three and four, where the plot really escalated and the clear ramifications of Max's time-bending superpowers became apparent. The first episode felt largely pedestrian to me, and the final episode suffered from an embarrassment of almost endings that rival The Lord of the Rings. But the utter game-breaker was episode two. Not only did it have the least interesting plot moments, but it featured Chloe being her most insufferably teenage and moody, as well as that god-awful time sink of a pointless bottle quest. Yes, I wasn't a Chloe fan. Perhaps I have a low threshold for angsty punk types and teenage rebellion, but it took her being crippled into a wheelchair for me to start to warm to her character. Perhaps this was a result of the script littered with words like Hella and her general gutter slang chat, or maybe Ashley Birch's performance, but I couldn't care a jot for her for more than half the game even to the point where I tried to see if I could let the train run her over. Still, the game saved itself with episodes three and four, and despite being all over the place and unevenly paced, the final episode's weird, almost deadly premonition-like dream puzzles and eventual resolution did find me satisfied, and dare I say it, even curious about the Chloe-centric sequel. And finally, we have Kid Skitsky from the forum who says... I've been trying to think of something to say about Life is Strange for the past 10 minutes now, but I don't know if I have the language. The question I was left with by the end was, was I trying to save everyone because I cared about them, or did I just want everybody to like me? And maybe that's why I let the storm destroy Arcadia Bay in the end. Maybe I finally confessed myself that I didn't care about anyone but Chloe. I never expected to fall in love with her when I first saved her in episode one. I had no ulterior motive. Most people certainly don't think about what they have to gain from a situation when they save someone from a burning building or a car accident. I guess I'm just trying to find some sort of reason for making the decision I made in the end. Maybe it's my own social commentary, a statement against the barrier gaze trope so commonly used in the gay tragedy genre. Or maybe I want to live in their relationship vicariously as a closeted gay man so desperate for the idea of falling in love. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if it even matters, because either way, I got the ending I wanted. So thank you to everybody. That is a lot. And it's it's wonderful that um, that we're getting so many opinions that differ from ours. I like that a whole lot. Thank you, everybody, uh, for the feedback. We have some three-word reviews, uh, which you can send to us on Twitter at Kane and Rince. Uh Mark X. Delaney. Not cohesive storytelling. The Northman. Irritating American teenagers. The Reviewist says, didn't stop train. Eric Jones says, be kind, rewind. I like that one. Catatolic Nali. Hella stupid teens. Uh, Spencer Saunders. Kate is bay. Dipudi says, rewind to youth. Luke Cage, H4H. 
engaging butterfly effect. Sean Xavier Lucio, indie soundtrack darling. Sean Hall, profoundly emotional experience. So that's a lot to take in, uh, but I would like to try and uh, and have a summarize <laughs> how uh, how we felt about Life is Strange and what it left us with. Um, start with Josh. I hate Life is Strange. <laughs> it's okay. So it's it's pro- like. If if I'm looking back on all the games we've had to cover on Kane and Rinsed, this probably isn't as bad as um, Zelda Two, which <laughs> it was a game that uh, was was so terrible that I I couldn't actually finish it for the podcast recording. Um, but in terms of just what my expectation of what this kind of game can be and the reality of what it is it just it's so far away from the mark and i and i think there are so many other examples of games that cover similar themes and similar ideas um that are just far just far more compelling and better written i think gone home is a game we've already covered on Kane Rince that I think does a fantastic job mm. of exploring kind of um, you know teenagers coming of age and and finding out who they are and dealing with the troubles of you know their parents and stuff like that. That Gone Home is fantastically written. Um, I think Oxen Free, interestingly enough, is another example mm. of teenagers encountering a surreal haunted um, scenario and and you know dealing with that. And I think that game is much better. Written written and the the like when you know people talk about life is strange having awkward dialogue because they're teenagers i actually think you know oxen free did awkward dialogue but they're teenagers well and it and it and it worked and i think it and it sounds much better and and ultimately like i think if you're after that you know you know an adventure game with dialogue choices i think there are a number of telltale games that are just in a different league in terms of storytelling like walking dead immediately comes to mind but even stuff like you know uh, wolf among us which i think is one of the weaker entries in the telltale canon is is just so much stronger in the dialogue department than this um i can't recommend life is strange i the, you know I'm saying that knowing that I'm in the minority in terms of the uh, in terms of the opinion spectrum, you know, people feel more positively uh, towards this than me. So maybe you'll disagree with me too. But I just uh, every fit like every line of dialogue made me hate this game more and more. Almost like people are allowed to have different opinions. Jay kind of enjoyed it. I have to be honest. I enjoyed playing it. I didn't think I would, and I'd gone in with this reluctance right from the off well for a year I'd held off playing this game uh, due to my preconceptions of what it was gonna what it was I'm kind of happy that I played it I've saved it on my hard drive in fact today I downloaded the um, you know the director's commentary stuff that you can add as a free download update Hmm. Uh, so I'm quite interested in going back and, and listening to the developers talk about the game and, and get stuff on. I'm also interested in going back and playing things differently to see all the all the stuff that I missed, all the optional conversations and stuff, and just to see what kind of, you know, I'm not expecting any great changes to the overall story, but I'm just kind of interested to see what they put into it. So yeah, I would recommend playing this, especially since it's been given away on both consoles as part of a, the subscription. Uh, stuff so you know if you haven't paid for it what have you got to lose apart from 
you know a few hours if i would definitely recommend playing through the, at least the first two episodes to see how it goes yeah tony um i probably veered closer to josh in this in in the way that the whole game is a about telling the story and I just don't think the story is particularly good at worst it's patronizing at best it's intriguing so I like the Kate stuff um, there's elements of, of oh, the single elements of episodes that I like but as a key, cohesive whole I don't think it it particularly works um, but that's not to say that like Jay says you know it's free you know well it has been free in so many places I don't see you know check out the first couple of episodes see if you can get engaged but sadly for me it wasn't one that uh, I particularly enjoyed my experience with so I put myself last uh, because I suspected that I would be the most positive and yeah I, I think so um, I I still do really like life is strange and it is not without flaws not even remotely without flaws there are a lot of things about it that I don't like but as an overall package I felt for these characters, uh, even when they make really dumb dialogue uh, choices and uh, even when I don't quite believe necessarily what they are doing, there's something there and I, I would I would maybe be hard pressed to to put into words exactly what that is, but there is something there that actually did catch me. I enjoyed going through and seeing all the um, the little touches that had been left around the environment. Uh, I enjoyed getting to know Max and Chloe and their history and everything that, that they had been through together. And I, I was very distraught at the ending. I, I cried. I'm a crier these days, apparently. But um, yeah, this was, this was something that I, I had a pretty significant emotional reaction to by the end. And um, I, I would... I would recommend, particularly if you have obtained it for free at some point uh, in the relatively recent past, I would recommend trying Life is Strange. And uh, I, I enjoyed Life is Strange, and I will be playing the prequel. It just remains for me, Leah, to thank Jay, Tony, and Josh, as well as our correspondents, Editor Jay, who's pulling double duty this week, and of course, everybody for listening. Next time in issue 278, ready your flying ostrich steed and prepare to joust.